I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. And now, broadcasting live, it's time for the Kick-Ass Radio Show. Your place for motivation, inspiration, and edumacation. Each week, our host, Christopher Rausch, and his guest share what it takes for you to have an unstoppable attitude for your personal and professional success. And now, for your host, Mr. Kick-Ass himself. It's That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to live while I'm alive. That's Bon Jovi. It's my life. It's one of my favorite songs. And of course, the intro to the Kick-Ass Radio Show where you are at today. We are not broadcasting live, actually, so I will just let you know that in case you want to call in for our guest tonight. Uh, unfortunately, we had to reschedule due to some scheduling situations going on, and that happens in life. So we're broadcasting live well, I guess we're taping live here Sunday afternoon. It's beautiful outside. It's sunny Southern California. Blue skies. Can't complain. I hope you can't complain either because what you look at and what you focus on is what you're going to have in your life. I'm your host, Christopher Roush, here at the Kick-Ass Radio Show, and we're here to create and help you have an unstoppable attitude for personal and professional success. And what we do is here live, usually 99% of the time, live every Monday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, me and my we just talk. It's just like a conversation over a beer, a shot of vodka, a coffee, whatever it is that you like. It's just us having a conversation about what it takes to have a kick-ass life. Oftentimes, before I started the radio show, people would say, you know, Chris, what advice would you give me for this? Or what advice would you give me for that? You know, I do coaching and whatnot. And I thought, you know, let me just put a, put a show together and start talking to experts out in the world and, and, and people that have survived and gone through some crappy stuff and come up on the other side. Let me just talk to these people for an hour and, and have them share five tips that you guys can begin using immediately and that I can begin using immediately. And that's how the Kick-Ass Radio Show uh, came to be. And I'm really thrilled. We are, uh, we are on show 124. So if you take, let me see, uh, handy dandy little calculator. We take 123 times five tips. We've done over 615 tips since we've been on the air. We've been on the air for, I think, two and a half years. 615 tips that you can begin using immediately. That's the criteria. So when you think about that, I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's free advice. It's from the heart. It's, you know, bull no bullshit. You know, you're not going to find any of that self-help fluffy bullshit here on the Kick-Ass Radio Show or anytime you work with me or my guest, as a matter of fact, which is pretty cool. She's kind of like the female version of me, and I'm going to introduce her here in just a second. Um, so, you know, when you think about that kind of stuff, it's pretty cool. So if you want to go back and listen to those shows, again, like I said, they're free. You know, uh, there's no excuses. Just go over to my website. It's ChristopherRausch.com, R-A-U-S-C-H, ChristopherRausch.com. Head over to the radio show tab. And halfway down, there's a link to iTunes where you can go there and get all the podcasts. Or you can, if you're anti-iTunes or anti-Apple, which I have some people tell me that, uh, just go over to uh, www.thekickassradioshow.com. All the episodes are there available for you to listen whenever you want. So there's no excuses. We've had some phenomenal guests. We've had some not so great guests. You know, it's life. It's what happens. Uh, but overall, at least on my part, my whole goal is to share with you how to, you know, overcome whatever obstacle we're talking about. So uh, you can count on that. 
anyways, uh, speaking of guests, last week uh, was a was an interesting show. Uh, unfortunately, my guest could only spend a half an hour with us, but it was a half an hour well spent. Uh, my guest last week was Michael Peterson, uh, country music star, Grammy nominated country music star, uh, songwriter. Uh, I got the opportunity to see him at a very intimate dinner, uh, and not an intimate dinner like that, but you know, a very close uh, group of friends. And he spoke there about his life and his experiences and and, and how he overcame a major tragedy. On the, in the interview, he talks about how his uh, biological father committed suicide, how his adopted father killed himself. I mean, it's just it's just a tragic story. But through it and through his life experiences, he's happy to say now, I think at 56 or something like that, that he's the happiest he's ever been in his life. So I encourage you to go back and listen to those shows. You know, they're from the heart, uh, from from my guests and from myself, you know. There's no way you cannot walk away with at least one golden thing that you can do, one action you can take. I usually don't like saying thing. Um, one action you can take to improve your life because that's what I'm all about. I'm, I'm so uh, I'm so over hearing people bitch and complain about, oh, I don't know what to do or, you know, I don't have this or I don't have that. I mean, the Internet, Google and YouTube are amazing. You know, there's no excuse. You can listen to podcasts for free. You can go on Google and type anything you want to learn, and then you just put .pdf after it. So if you want to learn how to become a better speaker, .pdf. If you want to become a better baker, .pdf. There's so many documents out there that you can learn that are free. So there's absolutely no excuse. That's why I'm called the No Excuses Coach. And when I bring my guest on here in a second, uh, I, there's going to be no shortage of us telling you that there is no excuse. I, I, I promise you that. Um, so when you think about that, and we talked about uh, with Michael, we talked about letting go of our past. That is key. You know, so many people are constantly looking in the rearview mirror, constantly looking over their shoulder, constantly living in the past or the shoulda, coulda, woulda that they never truly live now. You know, it's it's really bad. It's really bad. I call it uh, living versus existing. I say that a lot of people are just existing, and the sad part of it is, unless you get a, a cancer diagnosis or something like that, then that's when people usually start to live because. Like, well, shit, I don't have very much time left. I might as well live my life as opposed to just exist in it. And that's kind of my job is to make sure that people start living verse before they get the bad news. Um, we talked about taking risks and we talked about who are your influences. You know, you got to think about uh, like Stephen Covey said, you know, you're like the five people you're around the most. So I want you guys to really think about that. So anywho, it's uh, my privilege to have my guest on today. Um, her name is Phaedra Koenig. And I hope I pronounced that correctly. She's an Amazon best-selling author, lover of iced tea and snarky banter. <laughs> Phaedra is determined to shake people up about their mediocrity and stop living a half-life that is killing their spirit. Known in pop culture as America's crisis coach, Phaedra shares stories of triumph and hope that makes a lasting impact on people moving through their own crisis. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Phaedra to the kick-ass radio show. Phaedra, good morning. How are you? Hey, my brother from another mother. I'm so excited to chat with you. It's going to be awesome. 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 Thank you. How are, how are you doing this morning? <laughs> well, do you want the truth? That's what we talk about here on the Kick-Ass Radio Show. Okay. I'm going to tell you this story, and it has to do with dog crap. So I just moved. My after favorite 46... subject. I know. So I love following your dog pictures on social media, by the way. <laughs> So, okay, so I moved about a month ago after living in my same hometown for 46 long, grueling years, and I finally made my escape. And in doing that, I had a handyman come, and he helped me hang all my curtains and my mirrors and all that kind of crap in my house. 
weekend was awesome. And I have this one antique mirror that I really, really love. And we hung it and we're just like standing there talking. And it was like one of those scenes from a movie where everything starts to go in slow motion as the mirror starts to fall down off the wall. And we're doing the whole no thing, trying to run to it. And it shatters everywhere. So that's that's (gasps) like, you know what? I'm fired. Oh, way. But I come to that place in life where, you know, shit happens and I just don't take it as freak out ish as I used to. So I'm like, all right, well, whatever. That sucks, but we're going to fix it. So it takes a while. Uh, I get it fixed. And yesterday I went and I picked it up and I was thrilled, but it cost me like 225 bucks to get a whole new mirror put in. So I've got it in my car and I legit had to drive to like the hood of the hoods, which I thought I was bulletproof as far as being scared. Cause I mean, I grew up dirt poor with like freakishly weird, I call it a crap NATO life. So I thought (laughs) I could handle, you know, certain places in town, but apparently I still can be scared. So I definitely like creeped in, got my mirror, got the hell out and drove home. So that's all fine. So the mirror's in my car face down. Okay. This morning, I have been babysitting um, my daughter's dogs, whom I love. They're my grand puppies. So I've got pup demonium here, four dogs. And I keep smelling this <laughs> smell. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, this smells like shit. And I'm like, okay, no, seriously, it smells like shit. <laughs> so I'm like investigating. And I find out that one of my daughter's dogs needs to be groomed. And she is what's called a coton de tulier, which means her hair's like cotton. And that means that um, poop likes to stick to her hair if she doesn't have Mm. that area groomed frequently enough. So apparently at some point it started accumulating over the last like 24 hours. And I never noticed until I started to smell this smell, right? So I looked down and my poor pup, she's like impacted, right? She's got a lot going on there. So I jump up out of bed and yeah, I was in bed when I figured this out. So I'm going to tie these two stories together for you, but imagine me standing (laughs) at the sink. The mirror and dog shit. Yeah. Okay. So imagine me standing at the sink for about an hour using hot compresses, like literally digging the poop out of her butt and then making everything better, washing her, calling my daughter, letting me know, letting her know how much she now owes me, right? So then, in order <laughs> I know to, that's the big favor. Yeah, yeah. So I know I'm going to be on our, you know, your show, and I'm so excited about it because this like literally just happened. So um, whenever I record, I take all the dogs to my daughter's house. She lives less than a mile away, which is one of the awesome benefits of moving down here. So I go to take the dogs. I'm like, hey, guys, everybody load up, you know? Well, guess what? They load up and walk across my brand new mirror, which is now shattered again. So no. I was like, yes, 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 it's oh. shattered again. Oh, no. Yeah. And I, that's, 225 20, that's 40 years bad luck or something. Wait, 225 bucks, another trip to the hood. This is going to be like the $500 mirror if I choose to even go there. So that's how I'm doing this morning. But I am here. I'm so thrilled. <laughs> and here's the key. I actually had one of those moments because I'm driving back from my daughter's house. Like, you know what? I have come so far. Like, I'm not even freaked out. I'm just like, it's kind of funny. And I know I'm going to get to tell this story on your show. And I don't know. It's like an hour ago, dude, I was digging poop out of a dog's butt 
it was just, and here I am now showing up for you. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Hey, for those of you guys joining us, uh, we're on the Kick-Ass Radio Show. We're talking with my guest tonight or today, Phaedra, um, telling us about the broken mirror and the dog poop story. So in case you're just tuning in, you're going to want to back go back and listen to that. Um, you know what I would do, honestly, uh, me being a smartass, at this point, I would put aluminum foil where the mirror was and I would hang it up and then it would be just a conversation piece. Like people walk in like, oh my God, this is such a nice, what the wrong, what's wrong with your mirror? And then it becomes a conversation piece. That's actually <laughs> unless you want a mirror, unless you want a mirror in there. No, I kind of like your idea. Well, I'm, you know, you and I think so much alike. I mean, I don't know how we live this much life and never cross paths. I just need to thank Mark Mawinney for hosting you on his show because I feel like, yeah. oh my God, you get me, and it's really, it's been <laughs> empowering with my own show and my own brand, knowing that. I am who I always wanted to be. And there are other people out there who dig it and who dig my style. And I totally dig yours. So I would totally do the foil. Oh, thank you. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Yeah. That's, you know, you just gotta be creative and you just, I mean, honestly, you gotta laugh at it and it's not something that happens overnight for you guys listening out there. You know, Phaedra and I have been through, own respective stories and and learn to you know okay what's the most important thing is this going to matter um, the biggest thing that actually helped me phaedra was somebody said chris you know when i was doing something like is this going to really matter in five minutes five days five weeks or five years and i would sit there and i would stand back at the situation and think okay the guy that cut me off really is not going to matter in five hours you know five minutes yeah it's still going to probably piss me off but in five hours am i really going to think about it and you just start to learn what's important and what isn't. And, and possessions, while they, you know, can have those important things, I think personally, you know, if it, if it breaks and it breaks again, then it's like, okay, that must be a signal from, from wherever that uh, maybe I don't need a mirror. <laughs> That's exactly how I looked at it. And it's kind of like the first tip I was telling you about um, when we were conversing is that everything in life just is until you attach a meaning to it. So typically what happens is people, you know, transfer all their crap from every time they've ever been wrong to that particular moment and then go down a rabbit hole, you know, and I've just experienced enough crap in my life and, and wanted to not do that anymore that I really got right in my head. So I'm not sitting there saying the world's conspiring against me because I had to dig poop out of the dog's butt and the mirror broke. I'm just like, this is just really funny, actually, <laughs> you know, and, you know, I I'm grateful to be honest that I have the money that if I wanted to go fix that mirror tomorrow, I could. And if I choose not to, either way, it's totally cool. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's, before we before we talk about the first five, uh, first uh, kick-ass tip, I give everybody like a really quick textbook introduction of you. Why don't you go ahead and share with the listeners your story and what makes you a kick-ass gal? Woohoo! Okay, thank you. So, well, I used to think that my platform was that I grew up in what I call the house of horrors. Uh, the first, from the time I was three until I was thirteen, I lived with a step parent who was incredibly cruel, and he sexually abused me, emotionally abused me, um, and physically abused me for a decade. And I came out of that actually pretty scrappy. Um, and in a lot of ways developed a lot of habits that have served me well. I've lived on my own since I was 16. But I also came out with a lot of maladaptive coping skills and a big chip on my shoulder. So I thought that that was my platform kind of 
when I started out in the world that I was this overcomer, you know, and I went into the field of psychology, got my bachelor's and master's degrees and went right into field work. So I had about 22 years going on 23 now in direct service and mental health, uh, family court services and social services. So I spent that time kind of giving back to the community from which I came. And it was really rewarding because I thrived with troubled teens. And I had lived a life that they were living and they could see that you could actually get to the other side. And I was a self-made gal. And really, I didn't take anybody's crap. You know, you couldn't feed me a line of crap. Um, I wasn't a textbook social worker. I was a trench work social worker. So I thought mm-hmm. as I moved through life, you know, that was going to be my thing. And I got married like lots of people do, very young. And my first husband was in Desert Storm and he had a mental break and he went cray cray and couldn't come back from that. And I was a single mom with an infant before most of my friends had gotten married and didn't know anything about mental illness at the time. Um, His sister had committed suicide and nobody talked about that in the family. So I didn't know that it was a thing. And sure enough, it is a thing. And my oldest daughter ended up with the same issue. Luckily, as God does, he directed me into those fields of social work and mental health. So I knew raising her exactly what was going on and she lives a very high functioning life. So I'm grateful for that. And I got married again and had a, uh, had a marriage for 10 years, and my husband ended up having an affair. And it was with one of my closest friends. And all the anger and the pity and the crap that I really hadn't resolved from my childhood really manifested when that marriage ended. And I was, in my, uh, I was about 30 at the time. And I got pretty pissed and pretty angry, but I also got really hungry to not be pissed and angry. So I really went to work on myself, even though I had the platform of the, the education and I've been working the work in the, uh, the employment, I really hadn't dug too terribly deep, but I did. And I really pulled my head out of my ass and I really got my head on straight and life really started to change. And I started blogging before blogging was even a thing. Back then it was like an electronic diary, basically, where I could put every mean thought I was thinking out there. But I was doing it in this way where I'd really just bitch about something and then I'd say, but And then I'd start to talk about the healing part of it or what I was learning or how I could do it different or owning my own crap in that. Well, I got on the radar of a public relations firm and they really liked what I was doing about divorce in particular because that was developing as this brand because that's what I was going through. And of course, I worked in family court services, so I understood the legal part of divorce. I understood what was going to happen. I understood about custody. So I really became this expert by default in divorce. And I wrote um, quite a few books about it. And I became branded as America's divorce coach. And I got a lot of play in that um, in pop culture and was on Huffington Post Live quite a bit. And it was great. So I was single for a good chunk of my adult life. And I really wanted to be the best version of me that I could be before I partnered up with anybody else. And in 2008, I put myself out there. Uh, Basically, my kids looked at me, to be honest, and said, Mom, are you ever going to get a life? And I realized, okay, maybe I should. I put myself out there for dating, and I met somebody, and it was an amazing, amazing fit. And I think 
looking back on it, I was on my way up and I was really attracted to high powered people who had really arrived. And I met um, and started dating who is now my husband. And he was actually going through his own crises. It was just beginning. It was in 2008 when the market crash happened. And um, he was a very prominent businessman in California. And back then, Jerry Brown was deciding to run for governor. And he was creating this platform to be really tough on white crime. And he indicted about 100 people in the state of California for various crimes. And it turned out that the person I was dating was one of them. So it was a really traumatic time and really cray-cray. I mean, I didn't even appreciate the magnitude of what was really going on. But what was so cool about it was how he was handling it. I mean, it was a shitstorm. It was legit, like riot gear. I mean, I could go into a lot of details. Wow. But to keep it succinct, what ended up happening was um, he fought the accusation. He fought hard. He fought valiantly, and he freaking lost. And, you know, the government, if they want you, they're going to get you. And he was unwilling to settle out of court. And because of that, it went to trial. And we're talking about somebody who was incredibly wealthy, had every type of protection as far as um, attorneys and accountants and, and, and really had, he thought, had safeguarded himself and his company which was a massive company. It wasn't like a mom and pop thing. And ultimately, the government was able to strip it all away, was able to throw him in county jail for two and a half years, putting pressure on him to settle. Long since, you know, Jerry Brown had been actually um, won and had become our governor. And um, he just wouldn't. He refused. Went to trial. It was a six-month, very um, difficult trial because it was very um, – uh, what's the word? It was it was um, convoluted. It was it was difficult to understand with the quote jury of your peers. So he ended up convicted, and um, he was sent to prison for 43 years, which is essentially the rest wow. of his life. Yeah. So along that Ooh. way, I married. We got married. He actually got out of jail um, briefly while we he prepped for the trial. And the, it was all political. I mean, it was just crazy. Uh, the county was really pushing back against the state because they saw it as a frivolous lawsuit and really abusive of their power. So the state backed off, let him out, prepping for the trial, hoping he would settle. He didn't. Um, so along the way, when I met him, he had this son who was in fifth grade at the time. And he had been adopted by himself and at the time his wife. And um, he was three years old when he was adopted. And the child just never really um, bonded with his adoptive mom. So he was primarily living with Jim at the time. And he and I just really, really clicked. And our families clicked. So when all this was going on, I ended up essentially raising him. And um, so Jim's been gone three years now. And Daniel just graduated high school this past June. So I stuck with him got him raised, um, have just uh, been through the ringer because when you are the first degree relative to somebody convicted of a crime, um, that term shame on you, I understand it at a level that most people can't. I got so 
much hate thrown my way. It was a national news. It was a big, big deal. And people were looking at me either thinking I was a total dumb shit and I just got strung along by a charismatic uh, con artist or I was incredibly pathetic and didn't deserve any sympathy for sticking with somebody who was, quote, such a bad guy. So for me, I ended up, um, yeah, I ended up losing a ton of friends, (laughs) a ton of credibility. um, And I, I got super depressed. And, you know, I'm the mental health girl, right? I've been a tough ass my whole life. And I'm supposed to have this figured out. Uh, One of my jobs, essentially, I had multiple streams of income was I was a contract worker with the superior court, the same courthouse that convicted my husband, um, I was working for as a court investigator. And the scandal was so big, they fired me, uh, you know, unceremoniously (laughs) after nine years of nothing but stellar work. So I got incredibly depressed. And I, I have to be honest, I felt that suicide was one of my available options. I didn't know how I was going to make money. I didn't know how to engage with the community. My business was doing okay, but I didn't know how to say, oh, hey, by the way, I I need to let you know about this situation. And I was looking for rejection around every corner because I was getting it in my, you know, my local community. I was getting a lot of hate mail, um, a lot of death threats, and it got really, really brutal. And so I just got literally to my wits end and was literally not knowing what my next turn was going to be. And I got together with a group of powerful entrepreneurial women who watched me go through this and didn't necessarily know all the intricacies. And they were like, holy crap, you are not America's divorce coach, girl. You are America's crisis coach because you have actually gone through this with a level of grace and ease at least looking at it from the outside in. And I took about six months to really embrace that idea. And I remember the very first time I told my story, I think my tongue felt, you know, five inches thick. I kept looking for people to say, (laughs) oh, wow, you know, and reject me. But I took it. I ran with it. I got some really great advice from James Arthur Ray. I don't know if you know who he is. Uh, But he gave me, yeah. He gave me life-changing advice. So, you know, he had gone through a serious tragedy where people had lost their lives at an event that he had. And he and I became connected in everything that was going on. He was coming out of prison as Jim was going in. And he he literally game-changed for me. Um, we got on the phone, and he told this story right here. He said, you know, a guru and his followers are walking out in a field and a rabid dog comes running up at them. And all the followers who didn't have any security, who didn't know who they were, that weren't grounded in what they knew, they all ran away. But the guru looked at that rabid dog and he just screamed right in its face. And that dog, uh, its eyes just got huge and it turned and ran away. And he said, run at the rabid dog. And so all the people who were threatening me, all the people who were saying, well, if people really knew what you were doing, if people really knew how disgusting you are, I went and I made a video, real high-end video, put that sucker right there at the front of my website, got very brutally honest about my story and my, my life. I call it doing life with Phaedra. And everything changed. All the bad stuff went away. 
all types of opportunities to help other people came. People wanted to learn how to go through something so crazy at such high level. Um, and I started talking to people who are going through way worse crap than me. Oh, humbled me to the core. So I've right. been doing this now for about a year and it's, it's been, it's been a game changer. I'm so, I'm so happy that I didn't choose that suicide route. Wow. Wow. Phaedra, that's a, that's an amazing story. You know, it just, it, it blows our mind what we're capable of going through, right? I mean, you, all the things you went through. And so where does it stand today with, with you? Cause you said you're still married to this guy, right? Yeah, I am. So we have the number one defense uh, appeals attorney in the nation. And we were stripped away from every type of quality representation, not not to bag on our public defenders because they fought a valiant fight. But there's something to be said for people who really, really, really know their stuff. So right now we're in the appeals process. And Jim has been um, showing up powerfully, blooming where he's planted. I'll tell you, I would not be the woman that I am if it wasn't for watching this man go through losing, literally, literally losing everything and doing it, still believing in God, still believing that people are good, still believing that life is worth living. Um, So, yes, I am still married and hoping that the appeal process goes well. And to be honest with you, you know, if it if it fails us, then you know what? I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other at this point. Wow. Uh, And and that's that's really all you can do in the grand scheme of things. So my question for you, Phaedra, really an overarching question before we get into the five tips is what what one or two things do you really believe that got you through? All of that stuff you described to us, you know, the 10 years of abuse, the sexual abuse, the physical abuse, um, you know, the cheating husband with the best friend, you know, the, the, the dream with the, with the court case and all this stuff, the dog poop, the mirror, what, what do you, what do you attribute, you know, that, that strength to carry on and not be a victim, you know, where, where so many people would be a victim and be like, Oh, poor me, you know, um, where, where, what do you think are the one or two things that really unless they're your tips, but what do you think got you through that? What do you think kept you going? I think that I always knew that life could be better in any single given moment. I just had the sense that it was just a moment in time. It wasn't a definition. And I don't know if that was, I I was not raised in any way, shape or form knowing who God was. And, And when I did know who God was, it was like, Oh, if God loves you, you're blessed. Well, my life seemed incredibly cursed. So I thought, well, moving on along, God doesn't love me. But I came to understand my faith way later in life through meeting Jim. But I think the quick answer really is one word, and it's grit. I think that there's something about people like yourself, like myself. We have this grit. And it really just did boil down to whenever things are super crappy, I just say it's a crappy moment. It's not a crappy life. And I, some people live, you know, from crap storm to crap storm with a little bit of good in between. And I try to live from success to success, knowing that there's going to be a dip along the way. So I really think that's my bottom line. Mm, I love it. I love it. I love it. For those of you guys tuning in uh, a little bit late, we're on the Kick-Ass Radio Show. We're talking with my guest tonight, Phaedra Koenig. Did I pronounce that right? Yep, Phaedra Koenig. Mm -hmm. Phaedra Koenig.
talking with Phaedra Koenig, uh, who's got an amazing story, an amazing attitude, a kick-ass attitude. Uh, so let's dive right in. Let's uh, we, we we briefly started touching on tip number one. So let's uh, let's dig into that and 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 show the listeners how they can benefit from kick-ass tip number one. Awesome. So my kick-ass tip number one is learn to see the meaning you attach to things. Nothing is either good or bad. It just is until you attach a meaning to it. So I use the term about a logger and a conservationist. When a tree falls in a forest, one sees the loss of a resource and the other sees income. It's the same exact event. People just see it differently. And everything in life, it just is until you attach whatever meanings you have attributed to it. And those meanings come from your personal experiences, what you internalized along the way, what you choose to believe in the moment. And it doesn't have to be super, super great. It doesn't have to be super, super bad. It just is. It just is. I love it. I love it. You know, it, it goes back to something I talk about with people all the time and in, in relationship coaching is that perception is reality. Perception of, you know, outward experiences are reality based on our, based on our experiences. And then our perception of our own internal thoughts that we give ourselves becomes our reality also. So like you said, you know, if you look at all the negative situations that happen in your life and go, Oh, poor me, there's just another thing. Shucks. I shouldn't even bother trying because everything's going to suck. And you know, oh, poor me and, and play that game. Or, which I teach it, is like, okay, everything happens for a reason, and what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That, everybody has heard me say that a bazillion times. Part of it's tattooed on my forearm. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You know, and it's so true, Phaedra. I mean, we could look at these things um, and go and, and either say, okay, this is an opportunity for me to become stronger. This is an opportunity for me to learn something. This is an opportunity for me to teach somebody else later on how to overcome it like you have. Uh, this is an opportunity as a later blessing for me to become something that I was meant to be versus something I was pretending to be. I mean, that's, that's how I've lived my life. I mean, sometimes I'm, I look back on my life now and I think some situations, how did I survive that? But I think what you're saying is true. I mean, there's just, you just have to have that inborn sort of grit, that stubbornness, that no way I'm going to be knocked down kind of attitude. Um, what do you, what's your take on because I've been fascinated about the, the, the conditioning that happens to us when we're first born till we're about five or six years old. We make so many agreements and we make so many judgments and, and things of that nature in such an early time. What's your take on the agreement process that we go through kids that ultimately either help us or um, hinder us as adults? Yeah, I, I've actually just had, I put a video up on Facebook yesterday about this, where when I was a kid, I internalized really early on that acts of services could keep me safe, physically safe, emotionally safe, um, and, uh, and also be a, a form of currency. So by doing things, either keeping the house clean or doing, manip what, even if it's manipulative, it's still doing I could actually get a reward. I could get what I wanted out of that exchange. And then we bring that up into our adulthood and it can become maladaptive. Or if we're no longer in dangerous situations, then um, it becomes a sense of martyrdom where we're doing and we're expecting the reward, but we're in a, a more healthy situation. So then we're like, we're actually being gamey. And, and, and if we don't figure that out and the light bulb doesn't go off, then we're just going to, you know, bounce around life like a ball in a pinball machine. And I think that the kids that survive and thrive, 
they have this level of intelligence and social awareness. And usually people like you and I who've been through a lot, we have real heightened social skills. We can read a room so quickly because we had to in order to survive when we were younger. Um, mm-hmm. So if, yeah, so if you, can, if you can do that and have your aha moments and actually use them to your advantage. When I was no longer in literally threatening environments, like I knew I could go to bed and no one was going to come in and jack me up, um, I didn't need to you know, protect myself in the same ways. And I needed to understand that I didn't have to go the extra mile to puff up to make sure, you know, you didn't, it's kind of like getting bigger, you know, so people won't intimidate Mm -hmm. you, you're going to intimidate them. I needed to drop a lot of that behavior because nobody was coming at me, you know, and I needed to be more self-aware. So when we think about those, those modeling years, um, what I do with my clients is I talk about grace and what were you, you know, what did you deserve that you didn't get? So like for me, I didn't have parents who predicted my needs or just uh, provided for me because it was appropriate. You know, I was a child living with adults who didn't parent. So I became a parentified child, right? I became the one who to provide for myself. And I needed to go back to that place and say, you know what? Um, it wasn't a value judgment against me, Phaedra, the human that was born to this world, that someone didn't buy me school clothes or make me food or ask me um, if I you know, needed children's Tylenol when I had a fever. That wasn't because I was worthless. That was because the people that I came into contact with didn't have the skill sets to do it. And so once I was able to have those kind of aha moments about myself, it wasn't about me or my character or my worth or my value. It was, it just was, it just was. And then I was able to meet my own needs and do for myself. And having kids for me was a big part of that too. I was able to kind of be the parent that I always wanted. And I had a lot of healing, raising children, um, and, and, and seeing them thrive and live positive lives. I knew that I, the chain was absolutely broken. I knew that the, the myth that if you were abused, that means you're going to be a train wreck as an adult, that you won't be able to have healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. I knew that that was all bullshit, and I, and I, and I proved it. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm, that's probably a long-winded answer to your very succinct question. <laughs> No, it's, you know, it, it, I totally agree with everything you said. Cause it's, I mean, it's so important that we don't, you know, take on that, like I said before that victim mentality and that we become, you know, what Tony Robbins talks about becoming resourceful. I mean, it's, it's like I was talking about in the beginning of the show, there's so many resources out there for us to, to change the situation is, you know, so that we can, we can break these, these vicious cycles. Um, how do we not take stuff personal? I mean, we, we, we say your, your tip is learn to see the meaning you attach to things, but so much stuff is personal. I mean, I, I came across my sister back in 2005. I hadn't seen her in about 20 years and I never really believed in genes. We have a same mom, different dad. And after 20 years, my sister always hated my mom, but she turned out exactly like her. And I was the one that went with my mom through being homeless and on the streets and physical abuse and all this other shit. I was the one that went, with her through that. And I turned out completely opposite from her. So how do we not take stuff personal? Uh, and like you haven't, you said, okay, 
personal if these people had me and they weren't equipped to be parents and I, you know, self-actualized. Uh, I don't hold them responsible. How? I mean, because so many people live in that, well, it's their fault and it's my teacher's fault, my parents' fault, and it's, you know, the governor's fault. What do you say to that? Yeah. I think that the difference when we talk about grit and, and I picked this up with the interviews that I've heard you on and listening to your show is that you wanted it to be different. You wanted more. You wanted to find a solution. And I think that's the difference. The people who stay in the victim role, I call them the yeah, buts. you know, you can lay out <laughs> right before them every way that it could be better, every single thing that they could do instead of, and they'll say, yeah, but, but people like you and mm -hmm. I, people who are badass and kick ass, right? They believe that there's a possibility for a change and they're open-minded enough to, to absorb that information. They're hungry. Mm, absolutely not. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Let's kick ass tip number two, my dear. Okay. Learn to self-soothe, self-support, and other self-care. No one needs to be, your, be or do anything in order for you to be happy. So this piggybacks on what I was saying earlier. So when things don't go well, when the dog's butt is impacted with crap and you're standing at the sink digging it out, you know, when the mirror breaks, when the car gets the flat tire, when the kids don't behave right, nobody's doing that to you. It's just happening. And you can go and self-soothe. So you don't need your husband to walk through the door and be like, hey, honey, how's it going? How was your day? What can I do for you in order for you to have a good evening? You can create the elements for yourself. And when you have those healthy, self-centered values, for self-soothing, then you can have really good boundaries and not let people harsh your mellow, so to speak, and you can <laughs> do for yourself. So for me, the key is to making those positive, right? A lot of people know all about self-soothing. They do it with a pint of ice cream. They do it with a pint of whiskey. You know, they do it in maladaptive ways, but that isn't self-soothing. Self-soothing is you know, taking a walk, it's knowing your limits, it's ha ha so setting healthy boundaries. It's also being hungry, like I said, to know more about yourself. Why do I tip this way? Why do I get that reaction? And then setting yourself up for success. So for me, I, people don't believe it, but I'm actually an introvert. I get my batteries recharged by being alone. Now, that doesn't mean I'm shy because mm -hmm, I'm the farthest thing from shy. I can show up powerfully to an event. I can, you know, hang out with people. I love doing radio. But in order for me to be the maximum benefit for me, I spend time alone to recharge. I know that about myself. So I don't put myself into situations where I'm going to fail. So even when I was working as a mental health worker, I carved out a way for my business life to to support my introversion. So I ended up being the AD3632 coordinator, which means absolutely nothing. But what it did mean was that I drove <laughs> around a car all by myself, all over the state of California. And then I get out of that car and I go engage and do contracts and stuff with various providers. So I was able to get that alone time and I wasn't working in an office in a cubicle because that would have been horrible for me. So knowing who you are, what makes you tick, and then how to healthfully self-support, self-soothe, and take care of yourself. That is tip number two. 
Tip number two. I love it. I love it. You, you know, immediately comes to mind, Phaedra, is, is something that I come in contact with quite a bit when people are talking to me about, you know, having a, having troubles in life and down in life and everything. And what I usually deduce it to half the time is the, the fact that they don't put themselves first. It's like, well, you know, I don't have time for this because I'm, I'm making lunches for the kids and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And, and usually I find out that that person is taking on more than their fair share of the workload. And it's obviously in them, you know, strife and conflict in their in their life how what what advice do you have for people when they they can't see that they have to put themselves first i mean i've even told mothers i'm like no your kid is not first you are first i'm sorry but unless you're breathing and you're healthy and you are happy then your kid's only getting half of you so do you want your kid to get half of you for 30 you want to get the best of you how do you want to do that but it's just so funny because i think going to the conditioning process that we think okay if i take care of myself it's being selfish and you know we get people telling us don't be selfish share your toys and do all these things and make other people happy and all this other crap so how do you tell people to take care of themselves first well i talk to them about compartmentalizing and it's sort of like when you're on the airplane and then they give you the instruction hey you know if the the, the masks fall, you know, you need to put the mask on yourself and then attend to your child. You know, you need to make sure you're prepared so you're there for them. And it, it's interesting, I, my daughter, my middle daughter it just got engaged and we were driving over to San Francisco the other day and the subject of, you know, advice came up. And I said, I'm going to tell you something and you're not going to believe me and I wouldn't have believed it when I was your age. But you, you know, like, and trust me, you know, you, you know, I really, really have your best interest. Here's my best advice for you guys going into your marriage. Do not put your children first. And I attribute, you know, some of my marriage failure to that, you know, coming from where I came from, I wanted to be the quote, the best mom that I could be. And I bought into that whole kids first thing. What happens is every time you cannibalize your marriage, in the name of being a good mom, putting kids first, it chips away at that um, situation. And I wrote a blog post called How to Avoid the Empty Nest Divorce. And really, it is about the fact that if you just put your kids first and you don't focus on the marriage, what happens is those kids are going to grow up and they're meant to move through your life. They're not to meant to be, be your life. And I know just from raising really strong, independent, healthy kids, my kids are satellites to me right now. They don't have, you know, this weird interdependence with me. It's very healthy. So I have a lot of time now to do whatever the heck I want to do. I'm 46 years old and all my kids are raised. And that's the way it should be. But if you don't be careful, those kids are going to get raised and then your husband's going to look at you like, why do we even like each other? Because you're so used to mm -hmm. being the sports mom, the whatever mom or the whatever dad. I mean, it, it can go both ways. So it kind of really goes into my tip number three, which is drop the martyr bit now. So when people don't know how to give themselves what they really want, they want people to read their minds and give it to them and that's when they become a martyr. So, for example, say you really like coffees, right? And you just wish that your spouse would just read your mind, get up in the morning, get in the car and say, oh, I'll be back in a minute and come back with like your favorite latte, right? And that that is just going to equate so much love 
to you. And because that doesn't happen, you start to think, well, he's a jerk and, you know, nobody cares about you and, you know, gee, ain't it awful. And, you know, come to think about it, I've never mattered. And, oh, my God, this just sucks. I do so much for so many people. And it becomes this, like, character assassination of yourself and everyone in your sphere. And it's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, you go down the if rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, if you like that coffee, either be really bold and say, you know what, honey, here's what's going to get you laid. <laughs> if you, every Saturday, <laughs> go and get me this latte, it's going to feed that piece of me that wants to be set apart and made to feel special. Or if you say, hey, every Saturday, I'm going to get my butt up and I'm going to go get myself that coffee. Either way, it's a win-win. And it really ties into, have you ever done the um, five love languages? Have you ever taken that test? Um, it doesn't ring a bell right now. I know I've taken a shitload of tests, but uh, to share it with us. <laughs> so the five love languages, and you can just Google it like that, fivelovelanguages.com. Um, it's a test you can take, and it tells you how you like to give and receive love. I'm an access service person. So there's access service. I might not have them all memorized. There's uh, uh, personal touch. There's words, affirmations, there's five of them. So for example, I'm an access service person. So if I want to show you that I love you, I'm going to do stuff for you without you even having to ask. Like I'll do the laundry. I'll, I'll find out what you like and I'll make it just appear for you. Or I'll, you know, uh, take your truck and fill it up with gas and get it washed and just won't even tell you. That's how I'm showing wow. you that I love you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so but hmm. if what are you, you doing later? Are, yeah, exactly. So if you are, though, if your love language is um, words and affirmations, it's not going to matter to you that I did all that. What you want to hear is, oh, my God, you're so good looking. Oh, my God. When you walk in the room, I just like die inside. Uh, hey, honey, I just want you to know that every time that you, you know, take the dog and you go do what you do, oh, and you, you're just such a good man. That is going to feed that <laughs> person's love language. So if you're talking love a different it. love language than your spouse, than your kids, than your boss, that your, than your coworkers, if you're talking different languages, that's how you end up feeling like people don't care about you or everything you do doesn't matter because you're using your love language as currency. You're putting it out there and you're not getting an ROI. You're not getting a return on that investment and it's pissing you off. So if you learn these love languages and learn how to identify them, and you can figure out people's love languages very simply. Once you know it, then, you know, you can use that to your advantage. You know, you can use it to get your needs met and you can use it to earn favor with other people. Wow. So what do you think my love language is? I think you're an access service guy because you lit up when I started saying all that. <laughs> yeah you know i think i'm probably all of them no i'm actually it's pretty it's pretty funny and just with just with a disclaimer in case my wife ever listens to my radio show probably after i'm dead and gone she'll be like wait a minute why are you flirting with that girl on my wife is oh, awesome no, she no takes flirting. care of me she does great things yeah no there's no well, there's always flirting whatsoever. we're like there's always brothers. flirting that's gross really hmm. i don't know yeah right I, like, i'm uh, trying to say <laughs> I'm not worried about it. She doesn't listen to my radio show. Uh, she's like, I know what you say. I don't, it's so funny because, you know, behind the scenes, it's, it's pretty, I'm just going to tell a side story real super quick. Cause like, we got to get to your last two tips. Um, 
my wife has seen me speak in front of, you know, thousands of people. She's, you know, seen she's seen me in crowds, you know, da, 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 all this, you know, famous stuff, you know, kind of stuff. And then it's so funny because we'll come home and walk through the door and she'll be like, can you clean the litter box, Mr. Kickass? You know, it's just, yeah. it's so fun. I talk to so many of my other friends, you know, that are that are super way more famous than I am. And they're like, oh, yeah, my wife can give a shit. I do. You know, my kids, you know, reading like articles about Bon Jovi, like, does your kid read your art? No, I'm just the guy that has to, you know, tells them to clean up the room. And so it's just kind of funny how, how life happens that way. But um, I love kick ass number tip. Don't be a martyr. People out there you're uh quit shitting on yourself as i say uh what's kick-ass tip number four phaedra so learn to interrupt the patterns that take you down a bad path so eating too much drinking too much any kind of too much break the chain of thoughts and you can break the effects of them so what that is really Bingo. is about yeah it's about uh what i call a pattern interrupt so if you recognize that you have these habits that you get into and they lead to nowhere good, if you can recognize it starting and interrupt the pattern, then you can head it off and you don't have to go there, right? So it's just really being, again, self-aware. I think that's the thread, the common thread that I've been talking about today. So for me, an example is as an introvert, I have the tendency to isolate, especially when everything went down with Jim. I was way more social prior to the scandal collapsing. And I really loved getting out and doing things. And, and cause you know, I'm like 10 foot tall, you know, I'm very tall girl. I got a really big personality. I'm Greek. So I'm very demonstrative. So I'm used to living really large. And I got in this habit of trying to shrink down and not going anywhere, not doing anything. And uh, I noticed that it can trigger some situational depression and um, just, apathy, essentially, which can lead to overeating. Um, there's a certain ice cream from Ben and Jerry's that I just love. So I need mm. to recognize, yeah, when that's happening. And I've learned to interrupt that pattern. Now, for me, it's some form of, I call it doing something epic. So you'll see me every once in a while post on social media, Phaedra needs epic. So I might go whitewater raft, or I might just go get on my bike and, you know, take a ride, but I got to go do something that gets me out of the house, gets the sun on my skin. I, I don't want to be Gollum, you know, <sighs> I don't want to be like that. <laughs> I want to be out there, you know, loving life and um, impacting people in a positive way. So do that. Ha does that ever happen for you? Have you noticed that you like, dude, I got to get out of this house now and go do something else? Oh, yeah. It was funny because when I was reading your tips about, you know, interrupting the patterns, it's uh, it's funny because I have, uh, I don't know if you can hear this. Can you hear that? Yes. Let me see. Yeah, it's actually, I have the bands on my, uh, on my wrist. I've always been a rubber band kind of guy. Like if I wanted to, you know, slow down my swearing or, you know, stop being negative or joking around too much, I would just keep a rubber band on my wrist and I would snap it when, when I did something to interrupt. Um, these are actually cool rubber bands. They're from my friend, JB Glassinger of morningcoach.com. And one of them says always positive. The other one says choose peace, open to receive and blah, blah, blah. That one is, oh, be in the moment. So these, I have these rubber bands on there that I interrupt my patterns with, but for me, it was drinking. When I was mm -hmm. younger, I used to drink because I was like uncomfortable in public situations, even though I was an extrovert, you know, by nature, I'm exactly like you. I'm like, you know, like big personality, everything, but I could spend an entire, I actually, I do twice a year. I spend 10 days in my trailer by myself with my dog camping. Um, because I just got to get away. I got to unplug 
machine to, like you said, recharge your batteries. So for me, it was drinking too much. And then I just, you know, people would say stuff to me and I thought, okay, I don't want to lose the opportunity to drink. So let me cut this down and let me actually get to the root cause. I was actually my own best coaching client. So I'm like, okay, Chris, why are you doing this? Why are you drinking in excess? You know, it's, it's screwing you up. It's not getting you closer to your goals. It's getting you further away. So back in my 30s, I was just like, I just started scaling back. And even this weekend, I just, you know, I barely drink on the weekend. That's one of my vices. But I'm like, you know what? It's not getting me closer to my goals and it's screwing stuff up. So we have to look at those things if we look at the long-term goal. Um, we're running down on time. So give us kick-ass tip number five and then share with everybody where they can get a hold of how they can continue the conversation once this beautiful edition of the kick-ass radio show. Awesome. So number five, discover in what ways you are already a badass. They will show you the possibilities. And just to encapsulate that quickly, when I was at my wit's end and I thought that suicide was one of my available options, what I realized was I had run out of tools to use. All the tools that I had developed up until that point, they had served me well, but I needed new tools. So I started looking back in what ways had I already overcome, had I already been a badass, and then I built on them. Because what you've done once, you can do multiple times. And what you're lacking, it's just simply going out and getting it. Like you said, Google that, PDF it, find it, it's out there. I did it, anybody can do it. If you can get through a freaking national scandal, I can, you know, if I can do it, anyone can do it. So that's my five tips. You can absolutely find about, out about me if you want to understand the grief and loss cycle and get some really cool, cool information. You can go to crisiscrusher.com, and there is about 45 minutes worth of videos, printables, all kinds of really cool stuff to help you if you are struggling in crisis right now. Crisis Crusher. Where, uh, so where do they go and get that again? Crisiscrusher.com. My website Chrysler. is America's Crisis Coach. You can find my video there and say hey to me, but I am just so thrilled that you had me here today. Awesome, Phaedra. I appreciate you being on here as well. And for you guys out there listening, I mean, honestly, I connect with some of the best people in the world and Phaedra is the real, de real deal. Uh, the first time we talked on the phone, it was like, again, like we were talking about like, oh my God, you know, we, we feel the same way. We think the same way and you know, all these other things. So, you know, connect with Phaedra after this, uh, after you hear this and let me know how that conversation goes. Uh, the real deal. I, I believe in her and I look forward to, for you, I look forward to working with you and, and helping us grow in this social media world of, uh, of personal development and everything. Where, what do you see? What do you, what do you got on the horizon? What, what things are you looking to do now? So I am getting ready to launch my own podcast. It's called Coming Out of the Fire, and I know you are going to be a guest on the show. And I am interviewing people who have been through incredibly cray-cray stuff stuff that most people can't even fathom, and they are going to teach exactly what their grit looks like, what made them a badass, why did they not just lay down and die. So people are going to be able to find people that they can resonate with, because that's what I was missing when I was at the lowest of the low. I didn't know Christopher then. I didn't have people that said, hey, girl, it's okay. I got you. We can do this together. I decided to be that girl, and that's how uh, the podcast is coming about. That's how I connected with Christopher. It's awesome. 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 Well, I look forward to, to hearing it, being on it and supporting it. I'm actually uh, thinking about, uh, I think I can't remember if I told you, I'm thinking of uh, discontinuing the radio show because we do usually appear live. Uh, some views. So yeah, I mean, you just gotta, you gotta adapt and change. So I'm looking forward to hearing your stuff because I know I can learn from you. So if you guys out there, if you guys uh, have any ideas, if you want to give us feedback here on the kick-ass radio show, if you want us to stay on, 
let us know. Just send us an email, info at thekickassradioshow.com. Again, that's info at thekickassradioshow.com. If you've got show suggestions, ways we could change, whatever you'd like to see here. I know some people say it's too long. Some people say it's not long enough. You know, you can't cater to everybody, but uh, we're out here listening to you and uh, just want to hear your feedback. We've got an exciting guest coming up next week. Uh, amazing story about getting over addiction and, and things in her life and how she's turned that around and how she's helping kids today with mental illness. So you want to tune in for that. That's going to be a week from Monday. Um, anyways, Phaedra, thank you so much, sweetheart, for I will, I will talk to you in just a little bit. For you guys out there, have a great kick-ass week. I love you. Thank you, and rock on with your bad self. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. <laughs>